Today's scripture reading is found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Please turn in your Bibles to the text, and the scripture will also be located on the screen behind me. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, Well, good morning. Welcome once again to the Parks Church. Uh, You can probably tell uh, that we are not in our study of Acts this morning. Typically at the Parks Church, we are working through a book of the Bible. Currently on Sunday mornings, we're working through the book of Acts. But this morning, uh, one Sunday alone, we're going to take a break from the book of Acts. And uh, we'll be back in that next week. Um, And so if you're with us in January, you will recognize this slide. Whole Life Disciples Being Transformed by the Way of Jesus. So if you're with us in January, you know that we extensively taught through this. And you know that um, that this was a result of our elders taking uh, the fourth quarter of last year and just really praying and seeking God about the direction of the church. And we prayed and we were coming together and just wrestling through, God, what, what do you want for the Parks Church? Where are you taking us? And this is where we landed. That our, our goal is that 100% of those who call the Parks Church, Parks church home would be whole life disciples being transformed by the way of Jesus. That is every area of our life surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. And so if you know, uh, at the beginning of the year, we rolled out our practice groups and those have been intentionally designed to take us along that journey. Uh, but periodically throughout the year, we're going to stop from our break, uh, from our study. We're going we're to take a break and we're going to come back to this to make sure we keep, we're keeping this in front of us um, as a church family. Whole life disciples being transformed by the way of Jesus, that we're constantly just examining our hearts and our lives. Are we surrendered before the Lordship of King Jesus? Um, Every time I speak, I'm reminded of the great weight of communicating the Word of God. It's significant weight to be tasked with opening this book, the living, breathing, infallible, inerrant Word of God. And hopefully by the by the power of the Holy Spirit to rightly divide it and to bring teaching and encouragement and edification to the body. It's a significant weight, and probably most of you will never feel that. Um, scripture warns us, says not many of you should be teachers because God judges more harshly those who teach. And so this morning I feel that as I stand before you, and this week as I've been in preparation, I just, I feel that. And so my prayer this morning is that my words are led by the power of the Holy Spirit, that my words would not make make light of God, would not portray him smaller than he is, um, that there would be transformation in this place because I'm human and, and I can tend to point to myself, right? And so I feel this weight this morning. But I say that before you because just as scripture warns that there is great weight on the communicator, there's also great weight on the listener. Jesus warns us. He tells us, be careful how you listen. Be careful how you hear. In the parable of the sower, Luke chapter 8, he tells us that that those who listen and don't obey, the knowledge that you think you have will be taken away. 
And so Jesus warns us very clearly as listeners that we are to be very, very careful how we hear, how we are listening. And I say that just because we live in just a time and a day and age of just extravagant resources. And praise God, we have all the resources that we do. We have all these podcasts and the latest, greatest Bible studies and tools, and they're, they're great. But if we're not careful, and I've said this many times before, we will become just professional sermon listeners. Our job this morning here as, as listeners of the Word of God is not to just passively sit back and to critique and to be entertained. Because remember, the proof of knowing Scripture, the Bible tells us, the proof of knowing Scripture is not just hearing it's not just attending church on a Sunday morning. No, it's hearing, it's internalizing, and then it's obeying. It's walking it out. I'm reminded of a scripture that my parents taught me as a little child. James 1.22 that says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Deceiving yourself. Be doers of the word, not, not hearers only. Otherwise, you're deceived. And so if, if, if we can just gather on a regular basis, and you can just hear the Word of God, and you can go from podcast to podcast, and you can gather all this information, but you're not seeing transformation in your life. If you're not seeing fruit that lasts, perhaps there's some level of deception in your life. And so this morning, I feel that, and I pray that we will have ears to hear. I'm not interested in just throwing out more information for us to continue to gather knowledge to get puffed up. I am praying for Holy Spirit transformation in this place. I am praying for fruit that will last because I believe this message is very, very important for our hearts as disciples. So whole life disciples, being transformed by the way of Jesus. If I were to ask you, what do you think one of the greatest hindrances for following Jesus is, how would you respond? If I were to ask you, what, what do you think one of the greatest threats to being a true disciple of Jesus is, how would you respond? I, I'll, I'll give you a hint. It's a topic that Jesus talks about almost more than anything else. In fact, over 40% of his teachings and his parables are about this topic. It's a topic that he uses some of his strongest language about. You probably know the answer. The answer is money. Jesus taught about our relationship with money more than he did faith and prayer combined. Jesus taught about our relationship with money more than he did heaven and hell combined. Some of Jesus' most dire warnings were about money. Over and over in the gospel, Jesus teaches that a selfish spirit will keep us out of heaven. So this morning, as we continue our journey of, of becoming whole life disciples, church, this is a great diagnostic for us. This is a great practical indicator of where our heart truly is. Are we truly surrendered to the Lordship of Christ? Because we can't talk about being disciples without examining our relationship with money. And so here at the Parks Church, we want to raise up disciples who are living surrendered life to Jesus. We don't care about just gathering a large group of attenders each weekend. We want to gather disciples. And so this is a very critical dimension of our discipleship. So whole life disciples being transformed, how? By the way of Jesus. So here's just a few things that Jesus says about our heart in relation to money. Again, there's many more that we can pull. Here's a few. Luke 14, 33, Jesus says, any of you that does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. 
pretty strong language. Again, Jesus doesn't talk this way hardly about anything else, but he says for you to be his disciple, you must renounce control over every single resource in your life. And you have to say that it doesn't belong to you and that it all belongs to him. It's one of the only things he talks about in this kind of terms. Again, Jesus, Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he says, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Jesus says, watch your heart. Be on guard against greed. He doesn't talk that way about hardly any other sins. He doesn't say, watch out, be on guard against adultery, against lying. Why? Because you know when you've crossed the line with those sins. No one finishes the act of committing adultery and says, oh my gosh, how did that happen? You're not my wife. No, but with greed, it's subtle. And it works its way into our life and it begins to dominate and take over and skew the way that we we look at life and so oftentimes by the time we realize there's an issue with greed we are miles past the line oftentimes we are quick to admit we struggle with pride we struggle with uh, anger we struggle with lust we, we we struggle with unforgiveness bitterness but hardly ever anyone admits or thinks that they have a problem with greed. That they have a problem with clinging to the things of this earth or the things of this earth are distorting their view of life. Here's another one. Jesus says, Mark 10, 25, he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So look, Jesus is saying it's impossible for someone who is trusting in money to inherit the kingdom of God. And so he takes his disciples and he illustrates this by taking the largest beast possible in Palestine, the camel, and he takes the tiniest hole possible, the eye of a needle. And he says, look, if this can get through that, they get in. They say, that's not possible. And he says, exactly. That that's the probability of a person who trusts and loves money as their God to enter into the kingdom of heaven. In three out of the four Gospels, Jesus tells the story of the rich young ruler. You know the story of this rich young guy. He's, he's got money. He's, he's, he's got influence. We're told he sees Jesus from afar and he runs to Jesus. What a great thing. He runs to Jesus. And then we're told he falls on his knees before Jesus. What a great thing. And he sits before Jesus and he says, he says what must I do to inherit eternal life? Great question. But in this passage, we get a real snapshot into the human heart as we see this guy. He's totally oblivious into the condition of his heart. As he approaches Jesus with such self-confidence, he says, he says, teacher, I've kept all the law. He says, I've done it all since I was young. And it shows the condition of the human heart. How oblivious we are to our own condition and actually what it is, it's tragic ignorance. That oftentimes we think we know ourselves and we convince ourselves that we do know ourselves. In all actuality, all we've done is we have deceived ourselves. If we think we know what's going on in our heart, we have forgot scripture that says the heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? The truth is we should be very suspicious of our heart. That we can't see the reality of our heart before the Lord, which is why we need the Holy Spirit to illuminate the condition of our heart, which is why we need the community of faith. We need our brothers and sisters walking with us, lovingly reminding us who we are in Christ and who we aren't because of Christ. So as the psalmist says, search me, O God, know my heart. 
And so this rich young ruler, he sits before Jesus and he says, tell me what I must do. Tell me what I must do. Again, he's not coming to Jesus looking for a savior to trust in Jesus. Rather, he's looking for religious stuff to do. He wants to check the boxes so that he can get the glory, so that he can be his own savior. And that's sadly a picture of many people who sit in churches this morning who are not looking to Jesus to surrender their life to the lordship of King Jesus. Rather, they're looking for religious stuff to do so they can get the glory, so they can be their own savior. And Jesus responds back to him. He says, go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And if you know the story, we're told that the, the man leaves and he is disheartened, it says, because he has great possessions. Going back to our passage, his treasure was his possessions. He was attached to his possessions, his wealth. And so why does Jesus teach so often about money? Why does Jesus come at money with such strength? Because money and wealth and riches create tremendous difficulty to enter the kingdom of God. Money, wealth, riches produce self-sufficiency. Right. One of the greatest dangers of the culture that we live in. Right. I can do it myself. I have I have all of these resources. I can be self-reliant. I can I've got it inside of me. And you know what? That's nowhere in the Bible. Rather, what the Bible says is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are in need of a savior. Self-sufficiency is anti the gospel. We, we can't do it, but that's, that's the bad news. We can't do it on our, our, on our own, but the good news is we don't have to because Christ has already done it. But in our culture that is so driven, that prides itself on being so driven, we're the DIY society, right? Do it yourself. That's dangerous when we take that mindset as we approach our holy God who says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Money produces self-sufficiency. Money produces value perversity. It twists what we value. It perverts. We begin to think that things of this earth are greater than things of the kingdom. Money produces earthly dependence. Where we begin to look at created things for for comfort, for satisfaction, for, for pleasure, for happiness, for peace. Rather than the creator himself. Money produces Spiritual apathy. In a culture that is obsessed with comfort, money gives us all that we want. In a culture that is so idolizes entertainment, money allows us that. It satisfies some of those hungers and those cravings for us so that many of us, we don't, we don't hunger after the things of God. The Bible says those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Yet no wonder so many people are sitting in the church today and they don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Because we have so much. We have so much money, so much wealth. We're able to to just focus on all the comforts that we want. We're able to focus on all the entertainment that we want. And so therefore we have no appetite for the things of God. And it's exactly what Jesus talks about in the parable of the soils when he says that there are those who when that seed is dropped, that's the word of God. Those who when they hear the word of God, It doesn't take root in their heart. Why? Because it's choked out, he says, because of the cares of this world. And he says, the deceit of riches. Jesus calls riches deceitful. 
they're not what you, what you think they are. They're whispering lies to us, saying, come to me. I, I will give you whatever you want. I've got satisfaction. I've got hope. I've got peace. It's deceitful. And yet many of us, many who sit in the church today, not just this church, the church, are so spiritually apathetic because we're so consumed with the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. The word of God is choked. The love of God is choked right out of us. And all of these lead to a blinding of eternity. They blind us to eternity. We forget that we are eternal creatures and that eternity is coming. And so we're so overwhelmed and we're distracted with what's right in front of us. And scripture would say that is so foolish. And yet some of us, we even fall prey to the spirit of the age in our own flesh. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. But those who desire to be rich... Look, Scripture says we shouldn't desire to be rich. But those who do, those who desire to be rich, fall into temptation, into a snare. Think about a snare. Into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Look, why does Jesus talk about the topic of money so often? Because it gets at the heart quicker than anything else. Look, if we were to follow the rhythm in which Jesus talks about money, we would be talking and teaching about money every third Sunday. That's how important it is for our hearts as disciples. And so look, the primary reason that we teach about money is not about fundraising. It's because you simply, you cannot be a disciple without thinking about this issue because it gets at the heart of what you love quicker than anything else. It gets at the heart of what you worship quicker than anything else. It gets at the heart of what you're living for, what kingdom you're living for, like nothing else. And so look, if this church had no financial needs we would still teach this because this is not about fundraising. This is not about us raising money so we can supply God's needs. What a foolish thought. This is about our hearts. I heard a story about a church in South Africa that bought this old, old building. Large building, 60,000 square feet. And they were in the process of demo and renovation. And when they pulled back the floors, they discovered this extremely rare wood. Some of the finest wood ever. And in fact, the tree that it comes from is illegal to be chopped down. And so this, this wood is extremely value, it, 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 valuable. It produces the, the finest furniture and guitars and things like that possible. And so they're sitting on 60,000 square feet of this. And they were able to sell it for millions and millions and millions of dollars. I say that because most of you know that we have purchased a building, TPC Commons, here on the square. And it's a, a building that we're going to be opening up in a couple of months, just a common space for the community. We're in the process of demo and renovation. If by chance we pull up those floors and there's a layer of gold, or we hear a bubbling brook and there's oil in there, <laughs> praise God, I've got my fingers crossed. If that happens, we still teach this. Because this is about our hearts. This is about our hearts as disciples. And so our passage, Matthew chapter 6, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, he says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. 
But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So Jesus says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. The negative of that, he would be saying, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. So the word treasure, it's very descriptive, right? It, it shows what moves, what motivates us. So what is a treasure? A treasure is something of assigned value. Think about a $20 bill, right? That's a piece of paper with ink on it. That's not $20 worth of paper and ink, but no, it's been assigned that value. And so therefore it takes on great influence. And many of us, we will judge kind of the quality of our life based on how many of those we have. Based on how many of those that we accumulate kind of determines some important things. Where you live, what kind of car you drive, the schools your kids in, the restaurants you eat at, healthcare, all of that. It becomes very influential. So treasure is something of value that we live for. And so what we see in this passage Jesus lays out is that we all live for some sort of treasure. We are all treasure hunters. We don't live by instinct. We are value driven in pursuit of something. And so I ask you, what's the dream that you're chasing? What's the goal that you are in pursuit of? Maybe you live for success or you push for comfort and material possessions and you work hard to surround yourself with stuff to make you more comfortable. Or maybe you're more into experiences and trips and those kinds of things. But somehow, some way, every single one of us is living for some sort of treasure. We are all treasure hunters. Everyone lives for treasure. So Jesus tells us, verse 21, he says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, whatever your treasure is will control your heart. Whatever your treasure is will control your heart. So once that thing, whatever it is, is in the place of treasure in your heart, it controls your desires, your affections, your thoughts, your motives, your emotions, and it will be the lens in which you interpret all of life. And so what is going to make you the most happy is when you are moving closer to that treasure and what's going to stress you out the most and make you depressed and sad is when you're moving away from that treasure. Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So whatever your treasure is will control your heart. Whatever controls your heart controls your behavior. So once that treasure is in possession of your heart, it then sets the agenda for your life. It sets the agenda for how you think and how you process your words, your decisions, your actions, your reactions, your responses. That's what Jesus is teaching in this passage, that, that every one of us, we live a treasure-oriented life. Everyone's heart is controlled by some sort of treasure. And that, and, and that uh, control then sets the agenda for how that person lives. That's the reality for every single one of us. And notice that Jesus, he, he divides the treasure into two categories. Treasures of this earth and treasures of heaven. Treasures of the earth, he tells us, are temporary. He says, it's where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. He says, treasures of heaven, they're eternal, where those things can't touch them. It's of the kingdom of God. And so a question for us this morning is, what treasure do you live for? 
Do you live for the treasure of this earth? Or do you live for the treasure of heaven? Well, we're all in church, so we probably quickly say, hey, you, man, I'm in church. I live for treasure of, of heaven. Maybe we answer that question too quickly sometimes. Look at verse 22 and 23, which seems kind of like an odd verse. But it says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What in the world does this mean? Well, think about it. If you have good eyes, if you see well, when you enter into a room, your eye takes on the light of that room and your body lives in that light. But if you walk in that same room and you are blind, it doesn't matter how much light is in that room. You're not able to take it in. What Jesus is teaching is that material pleasures of this world have a distinct way of blinding us. Remember earlier I said that most of us were quick to say we struggle with, with pride or lust or anger or bitterness or unforgiveness. But almost no one ever says I've got a problem with greed. In fact, I can tell you in 18 years of full-time pastoral ministry, I don't know that I've ever had anyone come and say, hey, I struggle with greed. I struggle with the, the pleasures of this world. I'm just too attached. It's distorting the way I view life. But is that really the case that no one has that problem? Or is there a blindness? There's a blindness. See why physical eyes are important. They're not the most important set of vision system that we possess. The Bible talks about the eyes of the heart. Our most important vision system. Listen to what Paul Tripp says. He has a great book called Redeeming Money that I have uh, just gained a lot from studying. It says this. The eyes of your heart are always envisioning something. They are always fixed and focused on some hope, some dream, something you value. What the eyes of your heart envision will shape what your physical eyes look for and notice. Your physical vision is not neutral. No, it is guided by the eyes of your heart. What physical things get your focus because they connect to the treasure that has already commanded the focus of your heart? What are your physical eyes looking at that your heart has already been longing for? How has your way of seeing your world caused you to be discontented, driven, or envious? What things do your eyes notice because your heart has named them as important? The treasures of your heart will always shape the way you see. Maybe we answered that question too quickly about what treasure we are living for. Just take a moment and evaluate the management of your money. Evaluate the management of your financial resources. Evaluate your giving. Evaluate your giving to things of comfort for you and for your family and evaluate your giving to things of the kingdom of God. Maybe there is more of a war of treasure in our lives than we ever would have thought. What treasure really does orient your life. And Jesus finishes this passage with the strongest warning yet. Verse 24. He says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Again, listen to Paul Tripp from Redeeming Money. Says, then Jesus reveals what this conversation is really about. 
It's a great spiritual war that somehow, someway is fought on the battlefield of the heart of every human being. It is the battle between two kings who seek to defend and expand their kingdoms. It's the great conflict between King Christ and King Money. One of these kings will, will become the functional master of your heart. One of these kings will guide your, de- your decisions. Each king offers hope, life, and peace, but only one king is able to deliver. Both kings tell you how to view life and what is important to focus on as you do. But the reality is that your heart simply isn't able to love both. And in your life, you just aren't able to serve both. If you love one, you will end up hating the other. If you serve one, you will end up ignoring the other. It is a great spiritual reality that just doesn't get enough play in the church of Jesus Christ. Both God and money can be, will be, have to be present in our lives. But the reality is only one of them can be first. Only one of them can be can be the center of our life. So what, what Jesus is saying here is you're going to pursue one of them for happiness, for security, for satisfaction. And therefore, you're going to pursue that one. And then the other one, you're going to have a casual relationship. So the question is, are you looking to King Jesus for satisfaction, for contentment, for for joy, for security, and therefore passionately pursuing him. And then that would make that you have a casual relationship with king money. You see it in the right way. Or are you looking to king money for security, for contentment, for happiness, for joy, and therefore you have a casual relationship with king Jesus? Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. It's not possible. So in this passage, Jesus shows us two lifestyles. The first is the treasure on earth. It's a lifestyle of accumulation where I work to surround myself with all the things that I think will bring me comfort, contentment, satisfaction. It's a lifestyle focused on me, my pleasure, my comfort, my ease. Think about it. How much of your time and your energy and your effort, your skills and your abilities have nothing to do with the kingdom of God? And how much of those things have to do with making this temporary fleeting life more comfortable for you. Think about that. Jesus is not saying that it's wrong to have possessions, that it's a sin to invest in material things. He's saying it's wrong for those things to be the treasure that orients our life. That first lifestyle is a lifestyle of of self-focused, never-ending accumulation. And if that's where you look to feed your soul, you'll never be satisfied because that doesn't feed the soul. But the second lifestyle, the treasures of heaven, if you are a believer, I've got news for you. This is the lifestyle that you are called to. You are called to. And it's a lifestyle of freedom. A lifestyle of freedom from slavery to things that cannot and will not ever satisfy. So if laying up for treasures on earth is about accumulation, then then laying up treasures in heaven is about sacrifice. It's a life of willing investment and sacrifice of time and energy and resources for the sake of the kingdom. So we've been welcomed into a a better kingdom, a kingdom that will satisfy, a kingdom where there is contentment, a kingdom where there is joy. So look, our goal here at this church is that we would be a people who serve King Jesus passionately and not King Money. 
that we would leverage our money, our resources for eternal purposes, that, that we would be a people who realize that money is to flow through us for kingdom purposes. Money is not to be absorbed in us for self-indulgence. So our goal this morning is not some financial number. There's not a thermometer that's going to come up. Our goal is that 100% of those who call the Parks Church their home would live this way. As surrendered disciples of King Jesus. So look, anytime we talk about money, people ask practically then, how much do I give? How does it work? So if you've, if you've maybe grown up in church, you've probably heard the word tithe. Maybe you've been around something that's, that's kind of legalistic about tithe. Tithe is a very biblical word. It means a tenth. It's a very biblical principle in the Bible. We see the tithe in the Old Testament where God's people were instructed to regularly tithe to bring the first fruits of their work to the temple for the word of God. But then we see Jesus show up in the New Testament. And we see him actually affirm the tithe. He doesn't discourage it. We see his interaction with the disciples. But what we see is we see Jesus go to the cross. We see him rise again and we see the birth of the church. That's where we're at in Sunday mornings, the book of Acts. And what we see at that point is we don't see a command again to a percentage. Rather, what we see is we see a people who their hearts are so captured by the grace and the mercy of God their, their response is radical generosity. That's what we've seen. If you've been paying attention at Acts, we've seen these people who've been taking their resources and they've been selling it for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of serving one another, for the sake of the community. And so when it comes to giving, it, it comes down to one fundamental question that you must answer for yourself. And that is this. Who do you believe owns your resources? You or God. Because if you believe that you own your resources, then you will struggle with how much to give. You'll be trying to think of a percentage and, and you'll be thinking something like, well, how much can I give so that God doesn't curse me and, and, and I don't feel guilty? As opposed to if you see everything that you have as God's, then you have open hands and you're saying, God, Thank you for what you have blessed me with. It all belongs to you. God, what do you want to do with this? How do you want to leverage this for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom? It's not about a percentage. God, it's all yours. See, Jesus teaches us that we are not owners. We're stewards, managers. See, a steward is someone who manages someone else's assets according to the owner's vision and value. That's what we are. We're stewards. So therefore, we are to open-handedly hold our resources and say, okay, God, I am not the owner. You are. So I manage this according to your vision and your values. What's his vision and his values? The kingdom. The sake of the gospel. So look, our, our goal is that 100% of those who call the Parks Church home would live this way, would live as surrendered disciples, whole life disciples, every area of our life surrendered to the lordship of King Jesus. So if you do consider this church your home, you should be engaged in the mission of this church. We've said from the very beginning, when you give to a, a local church, you're not just giving to an organization, you're giving through the church. The church is a conduit for ministry. 
I mean, I think about just all the things that happen around here regularly, and there's a lot that, that maybe you're just not aware of. I think about every Tuesday morning, there's 15 or 17 of us that head over to the DAP, the disciplinary campus from McKinney ISD, where every student who's been expelled from their campus is placed in the one campus. And we go every Tuesday, and it's a highlight of my week. And there's 80 to 100 students, and we, we bring McDonald's. We feed the entire school every week. We sit down. We have a meal with these students. We love on them. We encourage them. Guess what? McDonald's doesn't donate that food. I wish they would. Every Sunday for the past seven years, we serve our community a warm meal, those who are in need. It's not free. Thanksgiving, all throughout the year, summer, kids bash, sports camp, we do all kinds of community outreaches where we are able to serve those in our community. I think about a few years ago, we discovered the need of 25,000 plus people in our city who don't have access to health care. And so just by the grace of God, we were able to step in and do something about it. And it took a lot of resources and it still does to, to serve those who are in need in our community. If you know the history of the Parks Church, you know we've planted two churches, Frisco and Melissa, we, we partner with other organizations as well to plant churches all over this country and all over the world. There's, there's a lot that happens. I think of Hope Women's Center, one of our main partners in ministry where we, we support them greatly. We, we walk beside these couples who find themselves in the crisis of pregnancy and we sit down with them and, and we pray and we help them choose life for their baby. But most importantly, choose life for themselves, the hope that's found in Christ. There's so much, there is so much going on. And so our prayer, church, is that God would raise up faithful givers, not who are giving out of obligation or out of duty, but like we see in the early church, those whose hearts are captured by the grace and the mercy of God. And so the only fitting response is great generosity. But God doesn't want generosity from you. He wants generosity for you. And so our prayer is that we would be a, a people found faithful, surrendered in every area of our life to the Lordship of Christ. This morning, um, what a fitting response that we come to the communion table. We can't talk about generosity without talking about the greatest act of generosity. Where our God gave, gave everything. He gave his one, his only son for us, Jesus, who left the riches of heaven and he came to earth poor and that while we were yet sinning, he died. He went to the cross and he paid our debt. And so this morning, as we take time to examine our hearts, we reflect on the great generosity of our God. So I'm going to ask our ushers, our hosts, if they will get in place I'm going to pray for us, and then they're going to give instructions to come forward. We would ask that once you take the elements, go back to your seat, hold them. We're going to take them collectively together. Examine your hearts. Examine, am I surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus? We will say one point of instruction that at each table, there's a small white bowl, and those are gluten-free uh, bread, if, if that is something that you need. So, um, be sure and, and take advantage of that. Let me pray for us.
Father, we thank you that you are our God and that you are good and that you are faithful. God, forgive us for oftentimes being so distracted. God, for being overwhelmed with the world, the cares of this world that are right in front of us. God, for falling for the deceitfulness of riches, of just trying to get more and more money and possessions. God, free us to live for your kingdom. So now, God, we take time. We reflect on your generosity. We reflect on the cross of Jesus. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Show us areas that are not surrendered to you. In Jesus' name, amen.